0: Today's Bible reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 18, verse 18, through to chapter 19, verse 22. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sancria because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Archaea, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in a public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked them, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him and had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and their evil spirits left them. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practised sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Archaea. After I have been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia while he stayed in the province of Asia a little longer.
1: All right, good day, everyone, how are we? Wonderful, Andrew. Good day, you're good um the bible is god's word so it's right that as we come to it today that we start by praying asking him for understanding so let's pray together father we thank you that you've given us your word we thank you that through it we can know you and your son jesus we pray that as we look at this part of your word today that we'll have a right understanding of it that we may love and serve jesus more we pray this all in his name and for his glory amen Did you know that the vast majority of the countries with the fastest growing evangelical Christian movements in the world right now are also some of the countries facing the most severe opposition to the gospel? Countries like Nigeria, Iran, China and India are reported to have some of the fastest growing global evangelical movements. All these countries also sit near the top of the open doors world watch list for countries with the most severe persecution against Christians in parts of the world where Christians are facing the most severe opposition and hindrance the gospel is increasing greatly but this is not a new phenomenon since the start of the christian church the same pattern has been evident where christians have been faced with some of the most severe opposition where there's been all sorts of hindrances to the proclamation of the gospel. The gospel has continued to increase and Jesus has continued to call people into his kingdom. Where there is opposition, however great, God continues to grow his kingdom as he empowers his people to boldly preach the gospel regardless of the consequences they may face. In Acts so far, Christians have faced all sorts of potential hindrances to gospel increase. In today's passage, we'll see a variety of potential hindrances to the advance of the gospel, from people directly opposing the preaching of it, to people falsely calling on Jesus' name for their own means, to people thinking they know God, but actually that, that being a hindrance to them knowing God truly. But we'll see today that the increase of the gospel cannot be hindered, for Jesus will grow his kingdom despite hindrances. Whether it's the threat of death or imprisonment like we see throughout Acts and in so many parts of the world today like Nigeria and Iran, or whether it's the hindrance of being asked to leave the synagogue, however great or small it seems, Jesus will continue to fill people with his spirit and cause the gospel to increase all throughout the world to his glory. If you remember nothing else from today's passage, remember that key point. We start our passage today with Paul wrapping up his second missionary journey. Last week we saw some of the ministry that Paul was doing in Corinth, preaching the gospel first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles in the city of Corinth. And today we'll see how Paul concludes his second missionary journey, going out from Corinth and reasoning with non-believers and strengthening the church. We're up to point one on the back of your outline if you're taking notes. Verse 18 says Paul stayed on, if we get it up on the screen, there we are, Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left for brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Centraea because of a vow he had taken. So Paul remained at Corinth for a while, preaching the gospel before beginning his journey back to Syria where he would soon come and greet his home church at Antioch. He was accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila, two tent makers and believers in Jesus, who he'd worked with in Corinth to help in funding his ministry. And Paul's first stop on his journey was at Centraea, the coastal city to the east of Corinth, from which he would sail off. But first, he was stopping there for a haircut. Imagine having your haircut recorded in the Bible for millions of Christians over 2,000 years to read about. Noah, a member of Night Church, who's also a barber at Oran Park, once told me about his most famous haircut, the time he cut Dustin Martin's hair. Dusty being one of the most exciting and successful AFL players to ever play the game. And I thought that was pretty awesome as far as haircut stories go. Not that it's the greatest haircut ever. But this haircut story takes the cake. Why include a haircut in this passage? Well, the end of verse 18 says that Paul was under a vow. That vow was most likely a Nazarite vow, which we're taught about way back in Numbers chapter 6, that detailed some of the things that a Nazarite man or woman whom for a period of time had been dedicated to the Lord would have to do. Part of this from Numbers 6 verse 5 said, during the entire period of their Nazarite vow, no, no razor may be used on their head. They must be holy until the period of their dedication to the Lord is over. They must let their hair grow long. When the period ended, they'd then go and get a haircut and present themselves in Jerusalem for a short period of purification. Paul had likely taken this vow when he'd been sent out for his second missionary trip by his home church at Antioch. And now that he was finishing up his trip, and so, ending his time of dedication to the Lord, it was time to go and get his hair cut. So, this vow, he went, and got, he went and got his haircut because of it. And this vow, also very short, importantly, showed Paul's commitment to seeing the gospel increase amongst Jews. As he showed himself to be a Jewish Christian. A Jew who valued the Jewish traditions, but more importantly, a Christian. A christian who served jesus as lord he valued jewish traditions but he served jesus as his lord so paul got his hair cut and then we move on to verse 19 where he comes to ephesus we read from verse 19 that they arrived at ephesus where paul left priscilla and aquila he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the jews when they asked him to spend more time with them he declined but as he left he promised I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. Ephesus was an area in the world that was booming as a major global commercial centre, as a culturally and religiously diverse place as well. So, Paul came to Ephesus where he parted with Priscilla and Aquila who had likely come there to increase their tent-making business and he went into the synagogue to reason with the Jews. Paul saw it as a priority to continue seeing the gospel increase amongst Jews. So he came first to the Jews in Ephesus before he went to the Gentiles. This raises the question, did Paul not say earlier in chapter 18 that he would now only go to the Gentiles? Why then is he back preaching to the Jews only a few verses later? Well, Romans 11 tells us that Paul's heart desire was still for his fellow Jews to know Christ. And when given the opportunity, he couldn't help himself but go and preach the gospel to his fellow Jews. Even in his ministry to the Gentiles, Paul still hoped that it would lead to the salvation of Jews. Paul saw evangelism to the Jews as a priority, so began his ministry in Ephesus, reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue, trying to persuade them that Jesus is the Christ. But Paul didn't stay long, for Ephesus was just a stop on his way, through to finish his second mission trip. He did return to Ephesus eventually, as we'll see later in today's passage, and God used him greatly to advance the gospel there, despite hindrance, but for now he was off. It's interesting what Paul said as he was leaving. He said, I will come back if it's God's will. It's hard to go wrong if that's how you operate. So Paul spent some time reasoning with the Jews at Ephesus, but now it was time to go and complete his haircut vow. So off to Jerusalem he went. We read in verses 22 and 23 when he landed at Caesarea, it was, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and travelled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. As a continued commitment to Jewish evangelism, Paul completed his vow, going to Jerusalem, where Jews who had taken this Nazarite vow had to come for a time of purification at the end of their dedication to the Lord. He greeted the church at Jerusalem and presumably strengthened them while he was there before going back to his home church at Antioch and spending some time with them. We finish this section with Paul leaving Antioch, probably around after around a year and a half of being there and beginning another missionary journey by strengthening the disciples he encountered along the way throughout the region of galatia and phrygia we've seen so far that paul's priorities are reasoning that is attempting to persuade people of the truth of the gospel and strengthening those who already know jesus that they may keep following him those are two priorities that we must have today as well strengthening and reasoning We make the Sunday church gathering and midweek growth groups a priority because these are times where we can strengthen each other as fellow believers. Keep coming to your Sunday church service. Keep coming to your midweek growth groups. They're important. And we need to make reasoning, or what we might call today evangelism, a priority as well so that we can see the gospel increase and spread to the ends of the earth. We're up to point two now on our sermon outlines if you're following along there. So, while Paul's out strengthening the Christians on his way back to Ephesus, we meet a man now named Apollos. Verses 24 to 26 say, Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervour and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Apollos was a Jew who knew the scriptures well, who had been baptised by John the Baptist, the man who paved the way for Jesus' coming and who clearly had an idea of who Jesus was. He'd recognised that John's baptism was pointing to Jesus, for he spoke of Jesus rather than of John. And he even spoke of jesus accurately however it seems that he didn't truly know the gospel for in the second half of verse 26 we see that priscilla and aquila who had remained in ephesus had to invite him to their house so that they could give him a complete explanation of the gospel apollos may have known of jesus and even recognized jesus as the fulfillment of john's baptism but for some reason he had not grasped that jesus had died for his sins that he died and been buried that jesus had been raised from the dead and that jesus had ascended into heaven and now was seated there as lord over all creation and the messiah god's anointed king he was hindered from truly knowing jesus up to this point by his inadequate knowledge of the saving work of jesus john's baptism alone was not enough for apollo's salvation but as a true follower of john when he heard the gospel explained to him he turned and followed jesus true followers of john the baptist would become true followers of jesus when presented when when presented with the gospel even if john's baptism at first seemed to hinder them from knowing jesus we see the outworking of this then in verses 27 and 28 which say When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Apollos had already shown an eagerness for and boldness in preaching the gospel. So he was sent out to keep preaching the gospel now that he knew the gospel, throughout the world. And what a simple but wonderful message he preached, that Jesus is the Messiah. It's the same message that we see at the start of the Gospel of Mark. It's the same message that Jesus first follows, preached to all those around them. And it's the same message that was prophesied throughout the entire Old Testament, the coming of the Messiah, who turned out to be Jesus. And that's a message that Apollos preached. Jesus' mission to the world in increasing the gospel cannot be hindered. He will save whoever he chooses, whether that is people who think they already know Jesus but are yet to truly know him, or people who have no desire to know him, or anyone in between. We see this again soon after, when Paul has arrived in Ephesus and Apollos has now journeyed out into the world. Paul arrives at Ephesus and meets some men who have also been baptised by John. And who were described as disciples of some sort. Verses 1 to 3 say, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. So Paul met these men 12 of them according to verse 7, who he assumed to have believed, but he very quickly showed that they had not believed in Jesus, for they had not received the Holy Spirit or even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. We often have a tendency to devalue the Holy Spirit or even to forget about him. We often chuck him on the side as the third member of the Godhead alongside the Father and the Son. But the Holy Spirit... He's the very spirit of God, the inmost being of who God is. And he's necessary for our salvation, as we see with these men who clearly haven't been saved because they haven't received him. And he's necessary for our ongoing sanctification as well, that is, our continual growth in godliness. So when Paul saw that these men hadn't received the Holy Spirit, alarm bells started ringing in his head. He asked them what baptism they'd received. And they'd only received john's baptism a baptism that pointed to the coming of the messiah but not one that alone was sufficient for salvation so paul told them what they needed to hear starting from verse 4 he said paul said john's baptism was a baptism of repentance yep it's up john's baptism was a baptism of repentance he told the people to believe in the one coming after him that is in jesus On hearing this, they were baptised in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came to them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. Just like we saw with Apollos, John's baptism was not sufficient for salvation. And in fact, it was meant to lead John's disciples to eventually becoming Jesus' disciples. It was a baptism of repentance, That was meant to culminate in people believing not in John, but in Jesus. Being baptised in Jesus' name and being indwelt by the Holy Spirit. It was maybe a good start, but it wasn't sufficient for salvation. Therefore, it proved a hindrance to these 12 men knowing Jesus. But as we're seeing today, the increase of the gospel cannot be hindered. For Jesus will grow his kingdom despite hindrances. And he did just that. When Paul told these men the true gospel, as followers of John the Baptist, they repented, believed, and became true followers of Jesus, who were now indwelt by his spirit. And they spoke in tongues and prophesied, which, of course, we know are necessary parts of salvation. Except they aren't. So why include this detail in the story, then? Well, in this case, it seems that speaking in tongues and prophesying were crucial indicators for these men, Who'd previously only been baptized by john but they had now been baptized in the name of jesus and did in fact have the holy spirit dwelling inside them the holy spirit that paul had told them of a similar thing happened in acts 2 on the day of pentecost where the disciples were filled with the holy spirit and spoke in tongues and prophesied beginning the global proclamation of the gospel speaking in tongues and prophesying seemed to be an important indicator for these particular people of their salvation and receiving of the Holy Spirit. But it is not a necessity for salvation. This section is descriptive, not prescriptive. It describes what happened to these particular people, but it does not prescribe what must happen to be saved. As we see in many other parts of Acts where people are saved and they most certainly don't speak in tongues. We come now to our third and final section Point free on your sermon outlines if you're flying along. And I'm going to have a drink of water quickly. All right, third and final section. And here we're going to see the gospel continuing to increase despite a range of hindrances, including opposition and magicians using Jesus' name like a spell. Let's get into it. Verses 8 to 10... So Paul's back in Ephesus and he returns to the synagogue, beginning to reason with the people there, to persuade people just like he'd been doing back in chapter 18. But he eventually encountered opposition from people there who tried to speak badly of Christianity. And instead of arguing with the people there, he just said, yeah, nah, and moved elsewhere. Elsewhere where he could see the gospel increase without having to bother with the people having a guide him. So he went to the Hall of Tyranus, which means tyrant. Imagine naming a kid tyrant. Good baby name for any future parents. And he continued to preach there to the point where all the Jews and Greeks throughout Asia had heard of Jesus. A bit of Jewish opposition to the gospel wasn't enough for Jesus to continue making his gospel known through his servant Paul all throughout the world. And then, to keep things interesting, Paul started throwing some miracles in there, just sprinkling them in. Of course, we know it's actually the Holy Spirit who was causing these miracles, but the magicians we are about to meet didn't know that. Verses 11 and 12 say, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. Even the cloths that Paul blew his snotty nose with would go out and heal people who touched them. God, by his Holy Spirit, was empowering Paul to perform these miracles so that the gospel would continue to advance. As we see in the next few verses, when some exorcists turn up trying to use the same tricks that Paul had been doing to remove evil spirits from people. Verses 13 to 16 say, Some Jews went around driving out evil spirits, tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know and Paul I know about, but who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them and overpowered them all. It gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. It almost seems like a comical story some jewish exorcists including these seven sons of the chief priest sceva decided that if paul could use jesus name to cast out demons surely they could too so they started going around trying to cast out demons in the name of jesus just like saying his name was some sort of magic trick that would bring the demons out abracadabra expelliarmus but jesus name isn't a magic trick Paul wasn't able to cast out the evil spirits because of how much gusto he had in saying Jesus' name. What the sons of Sceva didn't know was that Paul actually had Jesus dwelling inside of him, causing Paul's handkerchiefs and aprons to heal people so that the name of Jesus might be known and the gospel may increase. And that's what happened. The sons of Sceva kept trying to cast out demons in Jesus' name with no luck, And eventually one of the demons decided to bash up a lot of them and leave them naked and bleeding, running out into the street for help, exposed for the frauds they truly were. But even with this craziness seeming to potentially cause a hindrance to the increase of the gospel, Jesus' mission to advance the gospel could not be stopped. And in fact, he used the beating of the sons of Sceva for the purpose of gospel increase. Verses 17 to 20 say... When this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honour. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burnt them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. Paul's healing of people with handkerchiefs in Jesus' name and the subsequent beating of those who used Jesus' name falsely led to gospel increase. People were seized with fear when they saw that Jesus' name had power, both to cause healing and harm. People believed and repented of their sins, burning what was probably millions of dollars worth of magical scrolls because they saw that the power of Jesus was greater than any other power. God didn't just overcome this potential hindrance to gospel increase, but in fact, he ordained this increase. He ordained this hindrance so that the gospel may increase even more greatly. God even has control over the evil spirits who recognize Jesus and Paul, but who didn't recognize the sons of Sceva. When Jesus chooses to save, it doesn't matter what worldly things get in the way, for he has power over all of them and will complete his saving work, regardless of human factors. We end this passage with Paul continuing on in verses 21 and 22, planning to continue his global journey of gospel proclamation and even sending some helpers ahead of him to begin preaching in some of the places that he would later come to, for the sake of Jesus' glory. We've seen today that gospel increase cannot be stopped For Jesus will continue to advance the gospel as he chooses, no matter the circumstances. We've seen a range of hindrances that could have gotten in the way of gospel increase. But we've seen that God is more powerful than any hindrance that the world can even try to throw at him. So, how does this apply to us now? Here's some final implications to finish us off. One, continue evangelising, or what it said in the passage was reasoning, Don't stop telling people the glorious news that Jesus is the Messiah. Paul didn't care what people thought about him. Paul didn't care when people didn't want him in the synagogue. He just went elsewhere and kept preaching. We have such a limited time on earth, maybe 70, 80, 90 years if we're lucky. Nothing else we do on this earth matters. To the eternity that's to come afterwards. The friends we keep because we weren't bold enough to preach the gospel to them when we had the opportunity, The money we earn by willingly doing things that we know aren't godly, when right there we have the opportunity to tell people that Jesus is more important to us, none of that can come with us once we die. None of that matters. So we need to stop valuing those things, over preaching the gospel message that we know the world needs to hear if they're to be saved. Be encouraged that our feeble attempts at evangelism are well and truly enough for Jesus to save people if he chooses number two pray if Jesus alone can save people pray that he will the good news team the other week had their first meeting and they launched some nifty little cards that I think you were handed last week which can help us in committing to pray for gospel advance I need to use these cards as much as anyone to pray for people my prayerlessness is abhorrent keep praying that Jesus will save Our third and final implication. Make church, make Bible study, make anything that contributes to the strengthening of God's church a priority. Paul saw that evangelism shouldn't be his only priority. It's an important priority, a crucial priority in fact, but it's not the only one. Paul committed to travelling throughout the world to the churches that were already established in order to strengthen them. He knew that the growth in godliness, the ongoing sanctification of those who already knew Jesus as Lord, was and still is a necessity. We bring glory to God not only in our evangelism attempts, but also in our own spiritual growth and in the spiritual growth of those around us. Make that a priority. The increase of the gospel cannot be hindered, for Jesus will grow his kingdom despite hindrances. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you that you will grow Jesus' kingdom. We thank you that you have promised that you will do that. We thank you that you've given us your spirit, who is Jesus in us, that we may preach his word faithfully. We thank you that you're continuing to give others Jesus' spirit as well, that they may be saved. We pray that you'll increase the gospel all throughout the world for Jesus' glory. In his name we pray. Amen.